The current events this week have followed that pattern that we have seen in recent days with reports of wars and rumors of wars, with political uprising, with all kinds of phenomena in the weather. You don't have to go outside the state of Idaho to experience all kinds of phenomena in the weather. But certainly we are able to see that the events continue to set the stage for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture of the church. As we understand that, I think it's important that we give heed to our text in Romans chapter 12 and that we identify that we have different gifts that have been given to us as believers and each of us is to be performing according to the ministry that God has assigned us. Unfortunately, through the years, the church has seemed to ignore that aspect of our personal individual ministries, and we seem to think we've done our our Christian duty when we go to church and uh, uh, participate in the praise time and in uh, seek to find some guidance and understanding during the ministry of the Word of God. But, of course, that is simply to set for us the tone for the week as we have our individual ministries. So I stated in the study guide that you have a ministry. As a matter of fact, you are a minister. That you have a pulpit and that you have a congregation. So now that I've got your attention, we'll look at those things in a little greater detail to seek to understand what we are to be about. Now before I do that, I need to insert here a word about the text. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, it said, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. I would remind you that this text in Romans chapter 12 was written by the Apostle Paul before the completion of the Word of God, before the canonization of Scripture. The revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was yet to be given when Paul wrote this letter. And so the gift of prophecy was a viable gift at that time. The gift of knowledge was the gift by which doctrine was given to the apostles to establish as the teaching of the church. And all of that had yet to be completed. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, upon the completion of having all prophecy and having all the doctrine of the church age, upon completion of that, then these temporary gifts 
would cease of themselves. Now, the Scripture says they would be abolished, actually, by something else. That what would abolish them would be the completed Word of God. So the book of Revelation was completed in 95 A.D. And it carries the warning about adding any prophecy beyond that book and identifies then that as the closing of the canon of Scripture. The apostles were the ones who received doctrine, and with the death of John, the last disciple we have any record of, the last of the apostles, uh, then the apostleship uh, ended. For now we have the Word of God, and there were uh, special gifts that were needed until the Word of God was completed, the, the gift of discernment was needed. But now we have the Word of God in a written form. And so those gifts were abolished as the standard by which that information was revealed. And we have today the Word of God. So uh, some of those gifts phased out. But there are nine gifts that are operative throughout the church age. And we find ourselves with identifying at least one of those gifts, frequently a combination of those gifts, that is to direct our ministry and establish our pulpit and reveal our congregation as we go in about our day-to-day life. We have been appointed as sojourners. That's a, a emphasis that we have used for some time now as we seek to understand what our role is. And we've identified that a sojourner is a foreigner, not living in his own country, but living alongside the locals to do business for his king. We are established as citizens of the kingdom of God, as children of God. And uh, though we do have citizenship here, a dual citizenship, our primary allegiance and responsibility is to live, live out the design that God has for us. And we find that among nine spiritual gifts that are identified in Scripture. The gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of word of knowledge, the gift of word of wisdom, the gift of mercy, and the gift of giving. Those nine spiritual gifts that are identified in the Scriptures are operative throughout the church age, and you have at least one of those, probably a combination of those, and they're not all given in the same measure to each of us. We are given that which God has tailored specifically to our individual ministry that He has set before us. So our spiritual gifts define what our ministry is and our characteristics and our tendencies and our interests define what our pulpit is. Our family, our friends, our co-workers, and the people with whom we interact throughout the day and throughout the week, those are the members of our congregation. 
We are to model before them the Christian way of life, the life that reflects the attitudes as well as the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. The commission to the church establishes the structure of the church. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. A couple of corrections I would like to make in the text, uh, the translation of the text, so that we might better understand it. Uh, the reading should be this way. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. As you are being taken, you therefore, you disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. The correction is the text does not say, Go ye therefore. That sounds like a command. What the text says is, As you are being taken. Because God has a unique and personal design for our lives. Why they translated, Go ye, as an imperative, when it's certainly identified in the passive voice in uh, the indicative mood, the mood of reality, uh, is beyond me. But the text says, you are being taken. Every day of our life, God has a design for us, and we are being taken on a journey from salvation to the time that we go to be with Him. Now, the commission that is given to the church is threefold. We are to disciple, we are to identify those who have been discipled, and we are to teach. The church has a threefold mission. It involves evangelism, teaching, and service. And if we get to the stage that we organize and develop a a structured church with this group, we will divide the congregation into those three segments. We'll identify each person in the area in which they are gifted and where they can serve. And as a church, then we would structure the organization of the church to provide for evangelism, to provide for teaching, and to provide for service or ministry to others. And uh, you would find with your particular spiritual gifts that you fit into one of those categories. Now, we lack that structure at the present time, but that does not change the design that God has for the church. You are 
you're going to fit into one of those groups, either that's related more to evangelism or that's related more to teaching and training or that's related to ministry or service gifts to minister to others with their various needs. So our ministry is defined by our characteristics, by our tendencies, by our interests, and that will help us determine what our spiritual gifts are that we might be able to be about it. So our ministries are individual and personal. We are responsible to Him every day of our lives as we go forth. Now, we have to understand what that ministry is before we can uh, make a conscious decision of whether we're responding to that or not. And so that's the in my endeavor in this particular uh, study. As we look toward the end times and we see the time short, we need to be about the work that God has given us to do. And where we have no structure to help you fit into a slot, the Holy Spirit through the circumstances and situations that God brings in your life every day will channel you and has been channeling you into those places of service. But it's to our advantage to understand it and to recognize what God is doing and working in our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, we have this. But all these, speaking of the gifts, worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man individually as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many or one body, so also is Christ. So we need to understand what our function is in the body and then be able to make a conscious application of that every day as we go throughout our life. Now before I jump into looking into the fact that you are a minister and helping understand what your ministry is, I want to to get this fact before you because it's crucial to your staying the course. You are not responsible for result. Let me say that again. You are not responsible for result. I remember one time when I was pastoring the Southern Baptist Church and and in the Southern Baptist publication came out the information that 5,000 pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention each year gave up and left the ministry. 5,000 a year. They called it pastor burnout. Well, if you're operating on your own resources, you can run out. But if you're operating on His resources, you can't run out. The problem is, the focus has been upon result, 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 result. Now, you have been programmed for results from the time that you were a baby in the crib, you have been programmed by our society to be responsible for results. You don't have control of all the factors that produce results, 
We are not responsible for result. We are responsible for ministry. We are to perform the most effective ministry using the resources and the opportunities in the circumstances that God opens up for us. And the result must be left to Him. If I focused on result in my first pastorate, I'd have quit pastoring in my first pastorate. It was a long, tough haul. Well, what could you expect when I knock on the doors of the homes and the communities and hand them a business card and say, Hi, I'm Troy Welch. I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church here in town. All oh, right. <laughs> yeah. 16-year-old kid. So it was, it was difficult for a while. And I was constantly reminded that the Apostle Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. And that was a verse that stuck with me. But through it all, in that first year or year and a half, I came to understand a very important fact that has preserved me in the ministry through the years. I am not responsible for result. I am responsible to do the most effective job that I can do with resources and with the opportunities and the situations that God develops. And you must understand that. To say we're not responsible for the result does not say we're not responsible at all. We are responsible for ministry. But God Himself has to manipulate and control all of the areas and coordinate those things together in order for us to see result. So, you have a ministry, you are a minister, you have a pulpit, you have a congregation, and we're going to see what your ministry is, but remember, you're responsible to minister, not for result. We must remember then that theme that we've been emphasizing throughout this series is that we are sojourners. That we are foreigners living alongside the locals to do God's business. Well, we need to understand what God's business is that we are to be doing is my The business that God has assigned to me is different than the business He has assigned to you. But rest not beside the, the casual side of letting someone else do it. You have a ministry. Now, we can help identify that ministry by looking at and identifying our spiritual gifting. So, I have a series of questions in the study guide for you this morning, and I would like to walk you through that. In determining what your ministry is, your gifts define what your ministry is, and your characteristics and your tendencies and your interests and desires shape exactly what that ministry that God has assigned to you is. So raise the question, does it involve administration? Now, if it involves administration, then you can identify with characteristics uh, and tendencies and interests such as an ability to be a self-starter, 
an ability to see and understand needs of organization, an ability to assume leadership, an ability to delegate responsibility. I have trouble delegating responsibility. I can do it myself and have it done the way I want it done, but that eliminates others from the work and the ministry that God has assigned them. Do you have a tendency to be assertive, a tendency to be aggressive, a tendency to lead if there's no one else designated as the leader? Well, administration gifts function as administrators, as managers, as board members, as chairman of boards, or chairman of committees, or project directors. They're able then to organize and carry forth the, to, to minister the things of the kingdom of God. Perhaps your ministry is in teaching. Now, the characteristics, the tendencies, and the interest of those uh, uh, in teaching uh, would include an ability to research, an ability to present truth in a systematic sequence, an ability to communicate effectively, a tendency to go into detail when asked a simple question, a tendency to want to communicate everything you learn, Could it be then to function as a preacher or a teacher or an explainer or a trainer or in demonstrating? All of these positions don't require platform presence in a church building. They require active participation with others with whom you uh, are involved. Teaching can involve teaching in a classroom, teaching from the pulpit, but it can also involve that one-on-one teaching as you communicate to others in your environment the things that you're learning from the Word of God and concerning God Himself. It could be individual, or it can be in small group, or it can be in a large congregation. The large congregation works a little easier in that it's not quite as personal. So in most of our lives, our communication is going to be on an individual level. Could it involve teaching then? Then perhaps it involves service with the characteristics and the tendencies and the interest of an ability to detect the practical needs of others, an ability to serve in practical ways to provide for others, a tendency to be alert to the needs of others, a tendency to take responsibility to help others. Could it be functioning by assisting others through providing food, shelter, clothing, service, transportation, material things? Does it involve perhaps exhortation? Now, exhortation is an encouragement. It, it's designed to help encourage people, to motivate people, and uh, to inspire people. So you would have the characteristics of an ability to motivate, an ability to encourage, an ability to inspire others, a tendency to 
Speak out strongly on what you believe. A tendency to share ideas. A tendency to avoid anything that doesn't seem practical. A tendency to push people to their potential. Could it be then that your ministry is to function by preaching or singing or playing or by personal evangelism or visitation or promoting various aspects of the Word of God? Does your ministry involve helps? Will the characteristics and tendencies and interest of an ability to follow leadership an ability to perform skills necessary in the church, an ability to perform skills necessary to other organizations, a tendency to accept only simple sideline responsibility, a tendency to follow rather than lead, a tendency to assist others that are serving. Could it be your ministry is one of Function by doing committee work or performing skills or secretarial or maintenance or media and publication or yard work or kitchen or hospitality. Well, the ad, the, the, it goes on ad infinitum of the area of helps. Perhaps your ministry is through the word of knowledge. Now, I've been in congregations where someone would stand up and say, the Lord just gave me a word of knowledge. For so and so over there, the God, God just told me to tell you this. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what the gift of the word of knowledge is. The word of knowledge is knowledge based on the word. So it's characterized by the, the ability to sense, uh, the doctrinal theme or the doctrinal statement of a passage of Scripture, an ability to separate Scripture into various categories of uh, topics of Bible doctrine, an ability to uh, classify those Scriptures then, a tendency to take a very clinical approach to Bible study, a tendency to identify uh, biblical uh, illustrations rather than human illustrations, a tendency to react sharply to error, a tendency to prove or to test all teaching by the Word, a tendency to want documentation as to proof that that's what that passage means, a tendency to emphasize the importance and the accuracy of words. So could it be then that your ministry is one to function by writing or teaching or developing lesson materials or organizing study materials along that line. Maybe your ministry involves the word of wisdom with those characteristics and tendencies and interest of an ability to sense a person's circumstance or situation, an ability to understand how the Bible relates to their particular situation, an ability to communicate applicational principles clearly, maybe a tendency to look for people you know that fit a particular Bible passage that you have heard, a tendency to think of those individuals when you read that scripture and to sense the application to their life, a tendency to relate the word to everything experienced, could it be 
then your function might be in preaching or teaching or counseling or writing. And when I say teaching, remember that can be on a one-to-one or on a, on a one-to-two or a small group uh, because the gifts are grouped together. They're, they're bundled, uh, to use a modern approach to advertising. Uh, they're bundled together for your, spe- your particular and special ministry to the Lord. Counseling is number one in this area. If you have the gift of the word of wisdom, that ability to understand how the word relates to a person's situation, you're designated as a counselor. And of course, then there's a vast field of how that might uh, develop into ministry, whether it might just be over the garden gate or whether it might be in a more formal situation. Perhaps your ministry involves the gift of mercy with the characteristics and tendencies and interest of an ability to sense joy or distress in others, an ability to console or comfort, a tendency to have compassion on others, a tendency to experience the emotions others are experiencing, a tendency to offer comfort and consolation. Could it be to function by visitation or comforting or counseling or encouraging or assisting those that are discouraged. Perhaps your ministry involves giving with the characteristics and interests that identify the specific gift of giving. Not our priestly responsibility that we all have in the body of Christ, but some are uniquely endowed with the ability to multiply material assets and have an ability to understand financial needs and a tendency to look for the material uh, seed uh, needs in a situation, a tendency to assume personal responsibility for financial assistance to others or a tendency to have confidence in meeting financial situations. Uh, perhaps in your ministry is to provide then uh, that kind of financial advice and support to the body of Christ. Within those nine categories, you have a spiritual gift, maybe a combination. And as I said, they, the, the gifts are not given in the same measure to each of us, but they're given in the measure to the ministry that God has designed and you may see a coupling together of some of those uh, to form the basic spiritual gifting that you have to define your ministry. Your gifting defines your ministry. But you have a pulpit. Now, when I went to pastor a church in Sacramento, California, there was a big, large pulpit up on the platform. And I walked around it and stood beside it and peeked over it some. But uh, I said to the congregation when I was there uh, in a Bible conference before I went as pastor, and I said, uh, uh, if I were to be pastor here, you might come in some Sunday and the pulpit would be gone. Because I prefer to be able to not have that between me and the congregation. Uh, we put our notes on it. We put our recording devices on it. And, and sometimes we stand behind it for protection. 
that sort of thing. But uh, I uh, so after I'd been there a little while, I moved the pulpit and I set it over against the wall. You would have thought I committed adultery in the sanctuary. There was a loud scream of displeasure at five ordained pastors. There were members of that congregation. Three of them had candidated for the position of pastor and had not been called. So there were some kind of bitter grapes along the way anyway. But one man stood up and said, if I had known there wasn't an altar in here this morning, I wouldn't have come. One of those ordained preachers. Well, I never heard the pulpit call the altar. But uh, I had told them that I was going to take it out We'd try it a month, and then we'd see what the congregation thought about it. Well, I didn't get past the first Sunday about what many of them thought about it, but it almost split the church. The church voted to leave it out, but I put it back as a compromise to try to... That's the church I spoke of last week as having doctored my transmissions with brake fluid and and uh, screws and tires and windows knocked out and cars set on fire. But uh, the uh, the situation of the pulpit, one of the retired school teachers did some research to try to find out where the pulpit came from. My idea was it's a pull pit. You're trying to pull people out of the pit. <laughs> but of course, that was an attempt at humor again that failed. But the the development of the pulpit primarily was to establish authority. It's a good place to lay your Bible and have your recording device and things. But uh, in this small environment, I'm back here in the corner, and so I pretty well have stayed back here. But uh, I, I've said that a preacher is like a singer. A singer sings with their whole body and preacher ought to preach with his whole body, especially if you don't have that much of it to begin with. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, I, I ended up putting it back. But you have a pulpit. In her research, the school teacher determined that the idea was one of authority as well as convenience. You have a pulpit in your daily walk of life. Now, pulpits look quite different under different situations. Uh, your pulpit could look like a hospital room. Got two nurses in here. Your pulpit is in your ministry, in your work. Now, it doesn't look like this, but it does serve as the place from which you have an opportunity to do the ministry that God has blessed you with. It could look like a kitchen table. could look like a driver's seat. I don't know about a school bus, but I think a school bus would be included in that. It could look like a car fender. I've done a lot of preaching over car fenders. Not as much as I've done from the pulpit, but my pulpit in when I had two automotive repair facilities 
during the years of my ministry. The car fender was my pulpit most of the week. A sidewalk as you visit with your neighbors and others, even strangers on the street. When I first went to the church at Chowchilla, or at King City, as a 16-year-old, I didn't get a lot of invites. Well, join us for lunch today. So I had to fare for myself and then had to kill time uh, between the morning service and the evening service to be there. And uh, one one Sunday I was sitting on the main street of town, uh, parked there in my car, watching traffic go by the Highway 101 main artery for the coastal area of California, uh, went right through uh, the town at that time. And uh, I was sitting there kind of watching traffic and doing a little Bible study. And I looked up and saw a group gathering over on the corner. And uh, there was a guy with a guitar and there was a, a guy with an accordion and there was a gal with a tambourine. And uh, I saw a Bible in one of their hands. So I decided to get out and join the few other people that were there. Well, of course, I didn't get very far into uh, standing there when uh, someone introduced themselves and uh, asked me if I lived in town. And, of course, I was quick to respond. No, I'm pastor of the First Baptist Church here in town. And she turned around and she said, we got a preacher! God gave us a preacher. We didn't have a preacher this this afternoon. So I started preaching on the street corner. And uh, that that the sidewalk became a place. Uh, there is a big park down in Los Angeles. Probably not there anymore. It's probably been taken out. But uh, it was a, pu- a place for public uh, address and presentation of ideas. And uh, so I been known to carry a a box, wooden box down and throw it down out there on the park and stand up on it and start preaching. We got that started and the students at Cal Baptist, we made a regular routine that every Sunday somebody took the soapbox and went down. But it doesn't have to be that formal, of course, with your neighbors and others as you remember that you are a sojourner, you're a foreigner, not living in your own country, but living alongside the locals to do the king's business and to represent him. It may look like an off your pulpit may look like an office desk or a sales counter or a service counter. It may look like a garden or a cultivated field. It may look like a shopping shopping cart as you minister to others in your shopping. It may look like a tractor. It may look like a yard fence. It may look like a classroom. Well, you get the picture. Fill in the blank where your pulpits might be in order that you might focus your ministry as well. At home, with the people that we interact with when we're out, the people that we work with, the people that we play with, the pulpit will fit that situation as God has designed it. Now my wife has been heard to say, don't believe Troy when I start telling some of my stories. 
unless he's standing straight behind the pulpit. So I'm pretty well locked in here. Uh, I hope that's not too accurate a statement, but our pulpit is where we take opportunity to use our spiritual gift in ministering to others. Because we all have a congregation. Now, you're my congregation for Sunday mornings, but there's activities through the week and opportunities that we need to share. Your challenge with your congregation is actually greater than mine in that, first of all, the larger the congregation, the easier it is to speak. I discovered that when I was 12 years old. That the larger the congregation, the easier and more freedom I had. Part of that's because it's less personal. And so a good public speaker will learn to personalize his message as well. But the the congregation, your congregation, is made up of those that you interact with Throughout the week, your family, that's a tough one, your friends, your neighbors, your fellow employees, customers, strangers that you encounter. Your congregation is made up of those uh, that God brings across your path at any given time. We need to view them as congregants that God has brought into our ministry. And we need to live every day. You need, it's easy for me, I've got the title, but you have that title too. And you need to live that every day with the awareness that you are a minister, that you are a sojourner for God. Now the problem, I said, it's tough with your family. And yet they actually form the very beginning of our Ministry. But Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 57, speaking of Jesus returning to Nazareth, said, When he had come into his own country, he taught in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. They were offended. They were caused to stumble. Now, because of their stumbling over what Jesus said and what Jesus what Jesus wanted to do with them was limited by their response. As a matter of fact, it says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now does that mean he cut his program short? <laughs> No, I don't think so. As I look at the grammatical structure of that and the way it's set up, uh, they didn't give him opportunity. They didn't bring the infirmed. They didn't bring the crippled. 
They didn't bring those that were sick to him as they did other places in his ministry. He performed concerning what they brought to him, but was limited in that. But even the family members became believers after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem and the chief elder in that area and wrote the epistle of James. Jude became a discipler as well and he wrote the epistle of Jude. Those were brothers who did not believe in Jesus all the time Jesus was ministering in their presence and trying to minister to them. But the seed planted bore fruit. So don't be discouraged with your family. Don't beat them over the head from your pulpit, but share with them the wonderful works of God. In order to effectively minister then, the minister must know his congregation and where they are with respect to where he wants to take them. I'm reminded of that with this group as I intended to take you in a lot deeper Bible study, uh, but you weren't ready. The, the majority of the group were not ready to go into that depth. So I've had to back off a little bit in that. I'd rather uh, get, up, get up here and shout and run up, up and down the front and uh, get all excited and tell you about Jesus but that's not what we need. We need to be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Word of God and to know how it applies to our life. What I'm saying is your message needs to be tailored to your congregation. You need to consider what your pulpit is and who your congregation is and you need to tailor your message there. When I first started preaching as a kid, I got a lot of opportunity to preach in black churches. And I just loved to preach in black churches. Of course, had through the college and seminary, we had black pastors, and I got opportunity to preach in their churches too. But the preaching style is completely different because in a black church, it's give and take. The congregation gets involved in the preaching so that the preacher makes a statement and the congregation responds and you get a working going back and forth uh, between them. I was uh, we, we rented a house up in uh, the Sonora, California area and the couple that we rented from were moving to go to uh, Hawaii and he said one of the conditions of renting you this house is that you take over my ministry at the prison in Jamestown. I have the Sunday night service at the level four prison yard in Jamestown. So if you're going to rent my house, you need to take over that ministry. Well, I went out and met the uh, public uh, relations guy that was uh, responsible for coordinating all the volunteer work. And uh, uh, he said, we're looking for a chaplain. And I said, well, I'm not interested in chaplain because the chaplain, you have to compromise and straddle all those fences, and my legs are too short to straddle all those fences. So, uh, but uh, but I am willing to take this chapel on Sunday nights. And 
So he asked me to come on a Sunday morning and preach at the the chapel in the level one, two, and three yard. Uh, the higher the listing, the more severe the criminals. The level four were the lifers, most without possibility of parole. They were separated in a different yard. But the level one, two, and three yards all uh, came to the same chapel. And uh, uh, the the public relations guy was a former pastor uh, that had left the ministry, uh, left the pastoral ministry, and taken over that responsibility of coordinating all the volunteer uh, work that went on at the prison. And uh, so when the chaplain was fired, I don't know why they fired the guy. He got in a fist fight with one of the inmates and he slapped another inmate down. But uh, I, I guess that's force evangelism. I'm not sure. But it didn't work too well, so they told him to take a little time off and then they ended up terminating him. So uh, this public relations guy had taken over the chapel. As I said, he had been a pastor and Assembly of God preacher. And the chapel had... They they were running about 15 when he took it over, and they were up to about 200, 225 uh, on any Sunday. Um, and so he said, I, I want you to come and spend the day on the, on the, in the prison yard. And he said, you'll preach in the chapel level one, level two, and level three in the morning, but the chapel where I want you to serve is over level four. You'll do that in the evening. So come plan to spend the day. Well, I got to the service that morning and, and the congregation was mostly black. They had a choir. They had choir robes. Uh, they, it was all structured like a, a church. And, um, so I preached on, uh, Elijah calling fire down from heaven. And, uh, uh, the longer I preached, the bigger the congregation got. We emptied the Catholic chapel that was next door they came they kept coming in and they were standing around the walls and we started out with about 250 we ended up about 350 in there and i I preached some and they preached some and we got it going back and forth and and uh uh, people were getting excited and we had uh, quite a number that came forward to accept christ the savior and their a lot of repentance going on, whether it's emotional or what, I wasn't able to follow up on that was going on down there. But uh, everybody got excited. And uh, when we got through with the service, went over to the staff cafeteria uh, to eat, uh, the Catholic priest said, I got to meet this guy that just emptied my chapel. <laughs> he was not hostile. He was uh, the human. He said, somebody came in and told him what was going on over there and he said he started leaving and he said, I closed my service early because there wasn't anybody left. They were all over there. And uh, the word got out all over the yard, uh, over the prison. So when I went that afternoon to meet the worship team, uh, the worship team, uh, they usually brought out of their cells and out of the yard into the chapel uh, early and let them practice their music and do that. The worship leader was guilty of triple homicide. Uh, he had committed uh, triple murder. Uh, then he got to prison and he got saved and uh, God started using his abilities. And um, 
So they, when, when I went in to meet them, they said, it's all over the prison about that sermon that you preached this morning. Are you going to preach that sermon here? And I said, no, I have a different sermon. They had seven white guys. That was going to be at chapel. <laughs> that was at chapel that night. And the message that I had for them needed to be different than the message that I had over there. Um, we, we finally grew that out, outgrew our chapel and, and the Sunday before Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve was going to be on a Sunday until the Sunday before the worship leader said, well man, I need to remind you we won't have chapel next week. And I said, wait. What do you mean we won't have chapel next week? They said, well, it's Christmas Eve. We figured you'd want to be with your family. I said, this is my family. I will be here. And I baptized 27 men that night in a laundry tray. <laughs> had a big laundry basket. We brought it in there and filled it full of water. Now the other chapel, they had a baptistry built in over there, but we didn't have one over here was a completely different service because it was a completely different congregation. We have to tailor our message to the congregation we have. And you're aware of that. You do that to some degree. I'm just going to help encourage you to be aware of that as you do that and that you minister to the people where they are. When uh, I had some students that arranged for me to become the speaker at the World Day of Prayer for a large corporation in Southern California, a large medical uh, corporation, and um, they asked me if I would come and speak at the World Day of Prayer. After I had gotten through, the students came up and said, Wow, I've never heard you preach like that. That was different than what you do in the class. <laughs> and it is, we have to adjust to that. For majority of those that make up the body of Christ, our ministry to the congregation is informal and casual. They may appear as a group, but far more often it's on a one-by-one or a family or a couple that we are ministering to. Uh, I've said it's easier the larger the crowd becomes more personal the smaller the crowd. The smaller our congregation that we minister to, the more personal and individual it becomes. And we simply need to bear that in mind. But let the Word of God do what the Word of God needs to do and can do. And if it's not modeled in your life, it'll be difficult to portray it and present it in your verbal message to them. So, you have a ministry. You are a minister. You have a pulpit. Our pulpits look vastly different depending on our ministries. You have a congregation and they're made up distinctly for what God has designed for us. But the message, no matter the makeup of the congregation or the size of the ministry that God has given us, the message 
is the same. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now I had a preach, I heard a preacher say, Paul just preached the cross. He just preached evangelism. Pastors miss it when they get off into teaching. Oh, <laughs> well I guess I missed it many years ago. But what Paul actually said is, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In our study of the epistle of Colossians, we studied the doctrine of Christ. All the doctrine that we have in the epistles, almost every bit of it was written by the Apostle Paul. So, did he say out of one side of his mouth, I only preach the cross, or did he recognize that the cross included everything that relates to God's revelation to us? And that's what we must focus on and must understand that it is the doctrine of the cross is the doctrine that teaches us everything that we need to know to live the Christian life, to respond to salvation, to do our work as sojourners, and live out our designed ministry. There's not a thou shalt or a thou shalt not for every situation that we encounter as believers. But there is a biblical principle taught in the doctrines of Christ that applies to every situation we encounter. So ask yourself, how do my characteristics, my tendencies, my interests and desires fit into the resolution of the situation and what spiritual gift relates to this situation. Maybe you need to call a friend. Maybe you need to jump in yourself. When I was about 16, before I started pastoring at King City, my dad was pastoring. My dad, many of you know that my dad did not enter the ministry until he was 42. And he was an eighth grade dropout, Oklahoma farm boy, and never went to school beyond that because, you see, God provides gifting and the ability. All we need, all he needs from us is a willingness to conform. And, uh, uh, one morning dad came in and a Sunday morning and he said, Troy, could you speak this morning? I, I lost my voice. And I can't preach. Can you preach this morning? And I said, well, sure, I can preach this morning. So on the way home from church, Dad said, uh, why did you choose the sermon that you chose this morning? And I said, well, Dad, that's a foolish question for one preacher to ask another preacher. Why did you, why do you choose the sermons that you choose? And he said, well, that's the text 
and the point that I was going to make. And I couldn't do it and God gave you the opportunity and you did it. Isn't that interesting? I said, well, I guess God thought I'd do a better job than you did. I was 16. Forgive me. We have to tailor it to the congregation and we have to recognize that the cross is the central truth. And our ministries are all correlated to evangelize, to teach, and then to serve. And some are gifted with the ability to serve. Others are gifted with the ability to teach. Others are gifted with the abilities that enable them to evangelize. So here's the application. As we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ. And every one members one of another. Are you following that? We're talking about our body life here. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing, according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil, providing things unto honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. God has appointed you a ministry. He has ordained you a minister. He has given you a pulpit. He has given you a congregation. He has given you the message. We simply need to be about His work. As you go throughout this week, reflect back upon what we've talked about. Look at the opportunities that God brings to you this week. Now, it might be frightening, but remember, He is our help. We're simply representing Him, and we need to do that according to the gifting that He's given us. So if you haven't figured that out yet, Try this week 
If you don't get it figured out, then give me a call. We'll talk about it um, and help you in that way. Short days before the, before the Lord returns, we simply need to be diligent in our ministry.